Well, Eisman, we are at that point in the offseason where the draft is just a few days away. The NBA Finals slash playoff chaos is over. Denver is your winner. Miami, my hometown team, is your runner-up. And now we get to the more fun stuff, which is arguably the most chaotic, what, two to three weeks in all of sports with the NBA offseason. It's good to have you on again. Yeah, it's good to be back. We just had a chaos bomb dropped on us today, so it's good timing. And and just a few days before the draft with, well, obviously we know what the number one pick is, but there's some drama with Zion maybe getting traded for two or three, some still Dame trade rumors as well. Like it's it's classic NBA drama in the offseason. I love it. I think we also always – I, I jinxed it too. So I recorded another episode that'll come out on Monday. We're doing the Sunday night. And I literally told the guests, it was like, there's always that one trade that happens right before the draft that just like sends the internet into shockwaves. And the one you alluded to was honestly out of nowhere. This happened way too fast. I think just in a matter of days of Bradley Beal going to Phoenix for Chris Paul, Shamit, a, an unknown amount of second rounders, just whatever's left in the, in the, in the uh, treasure chest there. Pick swaps, etc. What were your initial reactions to that move? Well, first off, it's crazy because Phoenix wasn't initially considered to be one of the contenders. I believe it was the Bucks and the Heat, right? Phoenix was in there. It was Miami and Phoenix, but uh, I did not think Phoenix would actually make the move. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, well, the I saw it on social media that Beal's agent, his son, is like the president of basketball operations or something in phoenix so that's kind of a nice little connection to have a little, little jalen brunson's uh like scenario there. yeah yeah hopefully no tampering on that but it, but i think the wizards allowed him to speak to teams that he wanted to be traded to so it sounds like that won't be too much of an issue but in in for how phoenix looks next year obviously you gotta love it because beal is getting paired with kd and booker and Aiden and you know Chris Paul was kind of it, it you could see that he's he's you know starting to decline a little bit so to get a younger guy in there who's in the prime of his career and is, is another just serious scoring threat I I feel like it's hard to not have or Phoenix as a favorite to at least go to the Western Conference Finals you have to imagine it's Phoenix and Denver going into next year that are going to be the two best teams in the Western Conference. This is a point that honestly I've not heard all day, but I'm glad you brought it up. I think a lot of people are panicking because everyone on their mind is with the new collective bargaining agreement and the second apron. And I thought teams weren't supposed to make moves like this, you know, that whole thing. The one thing Phoenix has going for them, though, is that I think for starters, they bought low on Beal, which worked out great. Like they turn oh, yeah. turning CP3, which is basically either a wave or dead money, into a legit third scorer is not like nothing. And also not having to give up any premium, at least what we know right now, any premium assets is a pretty big deal. Even with the money, I think it seems like Phoenix knows that Durant and Booker are under contract. They're just willing to pay and deal with that because even then their lottery, their draft picks won't be that good. Like they're still going to be like a relevant top Western Conference team. Yeah, and the only thing that really worries me about Phoenix is is the fact that those guys and even Aiton are eating up so much cap space that you're going to have to be spot on in your free agent signings this summer for for the role players, for whoever the other guard or forward is going to be that, that enters the starting lineup with those other four. And But I, I think 
even if you have, you can have a mediocre bench with those four guys and still win a championship, I think. Well, the other thing, too, that it, this is in theory, so you have to take this point with a grain of salt, but if Phoenix has this top four and there's a clear need that they need to find cheap contributors or cheap contributors who are going to get playing time because Phoenix has literally no bench, that is kind of appealing in this market. Like, right, like if, you, if you're not going to get paid by your team and their teams are worried about the luxury tax and that they can't go over it and there's all these financial stipulations, what have you – I kind of brought this up with Denver. One of the reasons why I think Denver will do well this offseason without their money is that there's going to be a lot of people who are like, I want to play with Jokic and Jamal Murray and rebuild value and then go into free agency next year. I think a lot of teams will do that for Phoenix when you've got all of these scorers, but then you have no bench and there's plenty of playing time. Yeah, well, the thing with Denver is Denver is returning so many important guys. They're returning their entire starting five under contract I, I i think bruce brown could potentially be the only key loss for them but there's every chance in the world that he takes a pay cut to stay there too they also could do I, i've heard this a lot the wink wink nudge nudge of like take a one-year deal now but then like the following year we can extend you on the huge deal and, like that'll be like not written yeah. anywhere but definitely at least like set in stone for both parties i think the thing for phoenix that's the big question mark which you alluded to is what does the rest of this roster look like outside of those top four? Because you're committing – those four guys are all under massive deals. Uh, Cameron Payne technically is still like on a one-year like partial guarantee that I think you now accept to put him on the team. So you're rocking with five players. And then you try to get back, I think, Landry Shamit and then uh, – or no, they're traded Shamit. Shamit got traded, yeah. Yeah. So it's like five players that can maybe bring him back like two guys, but they still need to fill like at least six more roster spots. What are what are some of the team needs you're looking for in terms of not necessarily specific players, but the archetype of players that they still need to kind of address for this roster? I think a defensive guard for sure, because obviously we know Beal is not not the greatest defensive player in the league. Booker is he's good, but I don't I wouldn't consider him to be like any sort of special defender. So I think if you can get a uh a two guard or a wing or something like that who can kind of clamp the opposing team's best uh, guard or small forward. I think that's the biggest key for Phoenix is now you have to make sure that you're a sound defensive team because everyone everyone in the world knows you guys are going to score 120 points a game. This know? might be the best offense in the league now. They're there. I saw yeah. a stat that uh, – if you use their 2022-23 averages, they have combined for over 80 points per game, just the three of them on their own yeah. on their own teams, which is ridiculous. So, I I think it's it's if Phoenix can come up with some some guys who can just play some good defense and maybe make up for the deficiency, the defensive deficiency that especially Bradley Beal brings to the team, I think they'll be they they should make the Western Conference Finals at least with relative ease i think before we do more of the transactional stuff should we get into the what does this mean for durant's legacy part i feel like a lot of people have kind of like on twitter especially have been more reinforcements for kevin durant what's what what is your perception on kind of that whole that whole narrative i mean we're holding kevin durant i the golden state stuff is on him but the the brooklyn and phoenix stuff specifically I think is pretty much the same thing that LeBron did when he went to Miami, went to Cleveland and went back to L or and went to LA 
to team up with other superstars. And I think he's, I think Durant's being held to a different standard because he went to the gold, the already reigning champion Golden State Warriors that, and shut down the league for a couple of years just because of how good they were. But <laughs> you think about these, the, the Brooklyn and Phoenix moves specifically, those are teams that did not win, but teamed up with other free agents to kind or I guess not he forced a trade to Phoenix but he wanted to go somewhere where there were other good players on the team I just think he's he's held to a different standard from LeBron because of the Golden State but really the recent stuff has reminded me of that a lot no, I agree so I think the other takeaway from this probably is going to be how do Beal Booker Durant kind of like fit with the three of them together the one thing I think going for Beal and for the Suns is that Beal gives them insurance on offense, especially in the regular season where you don't need to put so much of a load on Durant and Booker. You could save all three of them for the playoffs and kind of like even up that offensive load, if you will. The The only concern I think is obviously going to be this is kind of it for Phoenix. Like they are gambling on the next two or three years of contention. And if this doesn't work, you're locked into all of these guys under three or four or five year deals at you know fifty million, thirty five million, forty million dollars. I think that's where there's some risk. Yeah, and and Durant definitely is he's not getting any younger. I believe he's the oldest of those three. He's thirty four, thirty five, maybe thirty four. Like, yeah, it's, it's gonna it's gonna have to be soon. The next year or two for sure. I agree with that, and I I guess. If not, if it doesn't work out, you have to you have to blow it up. You have to trade Booker because you know in two or three years Booker is going to be almost thirty, um, and but he's not going to have anyone around him. There's going to be no cap space for him. It's it's going to be it's going to be a mess if it doesn't work out. The other thing that is still on the table, and this is more now to the Wizards side of things, is. We're, so we're taping this again Sunday night. CP3 could be part of a bigger three-team deal. So the question of what's the next stage for CP3's career is pretty interesting in terms of staying in Washington, a buyout, whatever happens. Because he's still on that partial guarantee, so we could see that. But the bigger thing, I think, is I think Washington came out a real winner here. And here's why. So a lot of people have been – so ESPN actually released a grade report on this. And I think they gave Phoenix like a, either a D or D plus or a D minus. It was definitely a D. And they gave Washington only a B. I would make a case it's at least a B plus, if not a minus. Cause I so I did a piece on for the lead on uh actually it came out two hours before the Bradley Beal trip. It was written by Friday, making the case for Washington why you just need to dump Beal. It, it gives the team a direction in terms of you know where you're gonna go moving forward. Your your draft pick just becomes so much more valuable because you're gonna own it and you can control your own destiny. But also, I still thought you can get rid of – if you just got one of either cap relief, a young player, or assets, I think you made out fine because Beal was on this – so he signed this contract last summer, but it was a four-year – he still has four years and over $200 million left. There's a 15% trade kicker, so Phoenix took on money for that, and there was a no-trade clause. So that automatically devalues any haul you get because Beal can pick where he wants to go. And I think Beal or uh, Washington, they dumped the entire Beal contract and got complete financial flexibility for the next five years, and they still got pick swaps and a bunch of second rounders. So I still think that, given how 
you know, toxic that contract was, I thought they actually deserved a higher grade. Uh, see, I the pick swaps just don't make a whole lot of sense to me because when are you going to use them when you're like Washington is always going to have a higher pick than Phoenix for the foreseeable future, you know? That like is that, that is well to be fair, this is the Wizards, so it's totally a fair point. <laughs> yeah, so that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I know the Suns are pretty, you know, thin on being able to offer first round picks because of the Durant trade, but I honestly would rather take a first way down the line and banking and bank on Phoenix being bad at that point than doing a bunch of pick swaps in the more immediate future that I really don't think will make that much of a difference. But that said, I am super interested to see what they get for Chris Paul because I saw that uh, Clippers reunion might be on the on the table and, and might even be the most likely option. So I'd be interested to see what the Clippers give up for to get Chris Paul. But I, I think it was fairly rated. Like it didn't. I understand that it's a big contract and they're going to have a lot of cap flexibility. They're going to be at the top of the draft for the next couple of years, get some really good guys in the draft. I mean, hopefully for them, if they draft well. But. I, I think where Washington is is, is uh, interested in this is I think their idea is we can be bad, but if Phoenix is equally as bad or worse, at least we get to have like some say in the first rounder. Because the other thing too with this Phoenix thing is like, they can't rebuild this team once the Durant Booker era kind of fades away, right? Because they won't even have a first round pick to even bring in a young guy like Booker to, to kind of retool the roster, which is the scary part. Like this whole Phoenix thing, I was actually going to do a story on this of all of these teams that have given up so much first round picks for now that are totally going to be in the shitter half a decade from now. Minnesota, Atlanta, uh, now you could argue Phoenix. Uh, Houston's in the same situation still for a couple more years. Brooklyn is now going to fall on that with the Harden thing. There's so many teams that do not have a future in the draft, at least. Yeah, and part of the another thing that concerns me for Phoenix is that you look at the recent NBA champions, and a lot of those teams were built like homegrown players, not through free agent signings. You know, you have you have the Bucks, you have. The Nuggets, obviously, you have the Warriors last year. I think really the only outlier in the last maybe 10 years or so, if I remember correctly, is Toronto when they traded for Kawhi, obviously. But also you had Golden State on the other end who had an injured KD. And that was, you know... Toronto also, by the way, Toronto also drafted, though, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, like OG and, uh, and, and Anobi, yeah. all those guys. So they still like had the core, and they drafted Demar Derozan, which they turned into Kawhi. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Even but, even the Lakers, the last two of the four years they made the conference finals at a bare minimum. Yeah, they have LeBron and AD, but they drafted guys to build up a portfolio to get Anthony Davis with Lonzo yeah. Ingram and all those guys. So it, it, the draft matters. Having those young players on cheap deals turn into superstars is, is critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally forbi- forgot about the Lakers, but that's probably that is probably the most. I mean, you bring in LeBron and AD. That's yeah, and again, you got yeah. AD through assets from acquiring young players and also yeah. like having good value picks. So it's not like it was a. It still required the draft. Yeah, it's hard Absolutely. to build a team without a draft and more through just free agency and signing trades. And that I think a lot of teams are going to learn that lesson. I think that's a big takeaway. I would say. 
Yeah, well, we've seen what what's happened to Dallas, really, because you're trying to build around Luca. It's a failed trade for Kristaps Porzingis, trade for Kyrie Irving, and all of a sudden you miss the playoffs. Like, it's it. It's a, it, you you have to have you have to have good draft capital. I I totally agree with that. That's actually that's a good team. I forgot to bring up is Dallas, which is ironically one of our uh, teams we're talking about. I think we should shift to the NBA draft, and I think the way we should do this is. So, like, highlight some of the bigger narratives to kind of watch for in the draft itself. And we're going to talk about some of some of the specific players. We won't get too too crazy on that. But I think the first thing we got to talk about, because you, we, I still remember the segment last year where you did the whole Chet Holmgren uh, rant. You were totally out on him. And what do you know? He broke his foot. He's out for the whole year. Now, that's unfair because, obviously, it was a pickup game. It can happen any time. But your point, absolutely clear, did stand in that he is a injury liability. So I guess props to you. <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> so I, I, I did harken back to that but similar we have another tall guy seven foot six we haven't seen this sort of you know player profile in terms of height wingspan all that sort of stuff in the great victor Wembanyama. which shout out to the spurs for the only three times they've tanked they've landed david uh, robinson tim duncan and now Wemby. what what is your initial diagnosis on what Wemby is as a player, what the ceiling is, and kind of how his NBA career projects in your mind. I'll tell you what. I was watching the draft lottery. I was crushed. <laughs> watching watching the Pistons not even make it into the top four, and halfway through the show, I'm already just depressed because we're not getting Wemby Was That was tough. And, you know, by saying that, I think Wemby could could be a multiple-time all-star He's just for a guy who's seven five, a wingspan, has handles like a guard. Like, I dude, I I can't remember a more hyped player. I think he's more hyped than Zion. He might be the most hyped player coming into the draft since LeBron. And you, a lot of people you have might said. disagree with that. No, I it's to, it's totally guy, fair. I think the only guy that gives him a run is probably Zion. But yeah. Outside of that, I mean, I I think this guy is going to be really, really good, and it, he's he's going into the perfect situation with Greg Popovich as your coach. Like, you can't ask for anything better. I, I I've thought about it, kind of like I've been around since '01, so I, I kind of remember more of like the post LeBron, but like kind of like once it gets like Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, um, Zion, those are kind of the prospects I remembered. I would say that. Part of it is I think social media plays such a big role now where like it's like this random guy from France is just an alien and he's like foreign to us. So we're all just like (laughs) we go insane when he just blocks a three point shot, then runs down, dunk it. He like bricks a three, grabs his own rebound, dunks it back in. It's like seeing an alien out there. The other thing, too, I think the reason why the LeBron comparison is so interesting, there was still a little glimmers of I don't know if LeBron can do it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this might have been the mindset in 03 because remember, this is like the early stages of high school turn NBA. Like KG just like Moses I did it ages ago, but this is Kevin Garnett, Kobe, T Mac, then LeBron, that whole era of those guys. Whereas Wemby's coming in and it's kind of like the I think what people have tended to forget that I think is really critical is that Wemby's playing against like pro athletes. Like it's yeah. a, it's a French league, so like you know, Killian Hayes was in, the, in kind of a similar league, and he didn't turn out well. No offense to you. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> really, really nice. Of you. Play, play but and also Detroit, by the way, we'll get. We'll, they actually have some some good value, I think, at that pick. But um, 
Wemby's playing against, like, grown athletes. Like, the French League is, like, a legit league with, like, former NBA veterans. There's another top 10 French kid who's going to be a borderline lottery pick. So it's not like he's the only guy. And he's doing all these amazing things. And the comparison I make, honestly, is to Luka. Uh, Wemby has way more hype. He has way more of just a ridiculous skill set that I think people didn't really know about Luka. But it's the same thing of I think people are underrating and underappreciating the value of already having so many reps in a professional league that when he goes to the NBA, it's not like he's just going to be like a toucan. Like, I think he'll actually be a born kind of NBA ready player. Yeah, and I wasn't I wasn't necessarily comparing Wemby to LeBron in terms of play style. It was more just the hype surrounding him. I I mean, LeBron, you, you LeBron was hype as hell. They had a high school game yeah. filmed on ESPN. Like, that's yeah. rare. But you talk about a tall, skinny guy who can dribble and shoot. It's Kevin Durant. I feel like that is a fairly obvious comparison. But I think also what's working in Weminyama's favor is you've seen the recent success of other high, or actually not even high European draft picks, just European players. Obviously, Jokic just won finals MVP. He's won MVP the last two two years before this one. Luka has been absolutely killing it. Giannis. Like even 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 a like somebody like Embiid who's not European but like an international player who mm-hmm. came to the NBA uh, to the, to America to play for Kansas like the international stars have done actually really well even Porzingis like he Sabonis. went from yeah Sabonis he went for like he Porzingis went from a nobody to he was an all star in that uh, that Knicks year so he wasn't just mm-hmm. nothing Dallas gave up three first rounders for him so it clearly worked <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's working in his favor really well is that now we're seeing a lot more European and international players like really taking over the league. I think the biggest uh, – my biggest question mark I think for Wemby is going to be what's his offensive ceiling. Because when you're like seven foot six with an eight foot – I think it's a ten foot standing reach and then an eight foot wingspan – you're going to cover – he covers so much ground when you watch the tape. It's actually incredible. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's insane. So even like when he gets beat off the dribble, he recovers like like a deer where he just takes one stride, one stride, just swats it. He's really good, especially like if, if he gets like, you know, crossed over on a step back, just the recovery time back to the shooter is really good. Uh, really good hands to rebounding, et cetera. So I don't think the frame will be a big deal. I honestly think the biggest concern is the offensive uh, ceiling of him. Like in other words, like what is he – an isolation slash post-up score. Can he get the three-pointer down? Are most of his buckets like second chance points off offensive rebounds? How reliant is he on a Chris Paul type playmaker? Like, do you need to have that with him or can he make his own shot? I think those are probably my question marks is that that determines whether he's like a fringe all-star slash super, you know, super caliber starter, but nothing crazier. Or if he's really like that level of guy. I honestly think, especially for his first couple years in the league where he hasn't had the time to kind of build his frame and get bigger, I honestly think the solution to that is to play him at the four spot instead of the five because then you're going up against smaller guys, guys who aren't going to be as physical on defense. So that will allow him to kind of get in the flow of, of NBA game action and build his frame so I think eventually we all expect him to be a five just because of how damn big he is. But he's he has the mobility and the the offensive the shooting ability. He has all of the necessary tools to play the four position. 
And I think I think that would be the smart thing to do in especially the first couple of years of his career. The the other point that you hinted at that I I thought about right now is what the other thing that's going for Wemby is that the NBA is not ready for this. So what I mean is that these influxes of Embiid, Giannis, those sorts of or Jokic, those caliber of guys that they're bigs. And we've seen as the NBA has gone to more versatility and smaller, you have these teams countering and playing with way more bigger seven footers who can still play making kind of like get their own shot etc even Luca who's you know a guard like he's a lead ball hand where he's still six foot eight like he's still like a taller yeah. guy who's just playing the point guard spot there I don't think there's that much NBA personnel that can match up to Wemby like they're there and obviously he's like seven foot eight but there really isn't especially at the four spot guys who can just match up with the height you kind of like overpower him like I think the only thing I could think of is like either like just the MBs of the world where they're just so strong and maybe like, what do you think? Like not even like tiny guards, like maybe tiny guards can get under his legs, like <laughs> trip him. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah. I it's, I'm, I'm trying to think of like another really good, like big center that could give him trouble. I, I'm, you look at the way Jokic played defense in the playoffs. He played really well. I still wouldn't consider him one of the best defensive centers in the league, but he re- he's shown really good improvement on that side of the ball. I mean, who, if, if Rob Williams ever ends up healthy, I like him defensively. And I think he could potentially give women Yama some problems on that side of the floor if he plays the five. But again, we're just, we're just speculating here over you know, what, what he looks like. He could easily go out there and give Rob Williams 40 points, 20 boards and whatever, a couple blocks too. Like we, the, the ceiling for this guy is so incredibly high and we really haven't seen a player like him come into the league before. It's crazy. The the other thing too, one last note on Wemby is that as much as you wanted him, you have to admit that San Antonio is just a really good spot. Not only because of like the culture having the Robinson Duncan like kind of legacy behind him like there's good standing I think still being in a small market kind of helps because there won't be like, like if he was in, like you know the Knicks or like something stupid like that it would have been like even Houston that's a crap show like you don't want to be in a place yeah. like that stupid amount of pressure yeah but San Antonio also has a bunch of cap space in the next couple of years a bunch of first rounders from the Yaka Pirtle trade to uh, the uh DeJounte Murray trades they they have things to play with your assets to to use in a trade and they have young guys like Keldon Johnson's one of them. Uh, Sohan, yeah, Sohan, etc. So there's so many. They have, they have the tools to do a, a proper rebuild. So that's one of my bigger draft narrative questions. I think I'll point it back to you though. What's another big topic kind of for this draft that has kind of intrigued you? I think it is Zion because now we, he's got a bunch of off the court drama going on, and you're seeing you're putting it very lightly with the word off court drama. By the way, yeah. <laughs> We won't get into that. That's that's some <laughs> nasty work. I'll say that. But uh, yeah, you, you're seeing the second or third picks could be expendable, I'm, and it's it. You hear that Zion isn't really gelling with his teammates and staff in New Orleans. Which so which real that, quick, sorry to interject, but we've heard that before. Remember this happened like two or yeah. two years ago, I think. The same thing. So yeah, but it's and maybe New Orleans is fed up with with all the stuff that he's, you know, kind of putting them through. The guy hasn't been on the court. I think he's been off the court or he's been injured in more games that he's played in his career so far. He's got this whole 
baby mama drama situation that's being aired <laughs> out all over Twitter. Like, it, 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 they could easily be fed up, and I think they it's still Zion Williamson. Like, we talked about it earlier. The guy was one of the more hyped guys coming into the NBA draft in recent memory, so they could definitely get a haul for him. And I, I'll be really interested to see if, if he gets dealt this week. On the subject of deals, say you are New Orleans and Charlotte calls you and they say second round pick for Zion. That's it. Which of those teams is saying no and who wants more? I think you can get more than, than the second overall pick. I think if you get two and another, and another first from Charlotte especially, who is just an abomination right now, I, I, I think Zion could go for as low as two first round picks. Would you do so? You wouldn't. So okay, gosh, so you would do. You would want more if you're New Orleans, which is interesting. Yeah, more than just more than just the second overall pick. I think uh, I, Zion is listen, so fascinating. Jesus, Scoot Henderson, I think will be really good, but I still think in terms of potential, Zion is better than him. If you can get him to play a full eighty-two, I would take I would take Zion in the long term over Scoot Henderson. But again, those are questions. So maybe. Maybe they only trade a first-round pick, but I still think solely based on Zion's potential, he's still very young, you can get more than just one first for him. The thing is, I, I don't hate that like that answer, and here's why, is that Zion, when he's this is the big when, when he's healthy, has been a top-10 NBA player. In terms of yeah. this, nobody can stop him on offense. which is, And I think the, the inflection point New Orleans faces is is this guy actually going to be committed long-term and are we going to get like a healthy, fully fleshed out version of Zion? Because even at the start of this year, remember how good they were? Like they were writing, it's one of, it's one of my worst like age well articles. I, I wrote about like, so, I think it was me or somebody else wrote about the Pelicans, like strong start, their top three in the Western Conference, like ready to kill it and then complete fall off a cliff like the entire rest of the way. Part of that was due to injury, but it also goes back to Zion, I think, playing like 112 games uh, his first four years, something like that. It's Yeah. He's missed a multitude of time. He's not reliable. And, he, and that was the big knock on him, you know, for the last couple of years is that he can't stay healthy. But now you add in the off-court stuff, and it makes, makes him even a, a less attractive option for New Orleans to keep. And, again, it never really seemed like he, he wanted to be there. So – I, I if I were New Orleans, I would trade him, and I think they get at least two firsts. It'll be interesting. Do do we actually think a Zion? Tra- what what do you think is more likely, a Zion trade from New Orleans's end or a Dame trade from Portland's end? Because those are definitely the two buzz saws that I think are kind of facing the league right now. With you know a few days left in the draft, I think Zion's more likely. To be honest, Dame feels like you know we we have this trade talk about oh Portland isn't good enough. They need to trade Dame and rebuild, and then every year they they keep them, and they're you know mediocre. So I think this is just, we've we've seen the story before with Dame, and we haven't we haven't had as much with Zion. So I, I think Dame more is more likely to stay in Portland than Zion is to stay in New Orleans. Uh, on the subject, kind of of. I would say uh, off-season headlines to watch for. I think there's clearly a top three of Wemby, Scoot Henderson, and probably Brandon Miller, and with those two and three kind of in whatever order you kind of put them in. Yeah. But your team comes up next in terms of it's such an intriguing team because it's kind of like an, a roster of like just castaways, to be honest. Like even 
even Cade Cunningham has shown so much promise, but then the injury last year completely derailed him, and he kind of mailed it in because Detroit was just going bottoming out, full-blown better odds. Ivy showed a lot of promise. Uh, I think he averaged like 16-5-5 like the entire season. Like he was actually good. Like he's a a quality guy. But it's also this team – and also I can't forget the Monty Williams hire, which is a crazy contract, but I think it was the right one. Yes. But it's also this team that has – so, for example, at the center spot, it's got – let me think. Stewart, Wiseman, Bagley. There's one more I'm missing. Durin. Dur- Durin. Dur- I forgot Duran too, who's awesome last year. You have one small forward, which is uh, uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, who's 34 yeah. next season. So he's, he's on his way out the door. And it's kind of a roster kind of needing an identity. So what's your kind of philosophy for Detroit? Because Houston's another team I want to talk about, but I think Detroit is definitely – it's just a fascinating situation kind of with where that team is. I think with Monty there, by the way, I think it's definitely going to be more of a long-term project. Yeah, and what I like about the Monty hire specifically is is when you think about when he took over Phoenix when they sucked. I think they had 21 wins this season before he got there. They went up to like 39 or something with a pretty young core. And I, I love that because I, I still have full faith in Kate Cunningham. Ivy showed steady improvement throughout the season. Each month, I think if you look at each month of the season splits for Jaden Ivey you can see how much he's improving Jalen Duran I think he's going to be a great defensive center for us and he's shown that he's he's growing his offensive game too and what was weird for me is I don't understand why Duran wasn't starting at the end of last year I that boggles my mind but it's it's well, you, like you have to one. play you have to play Bagley the 30 minutes to yeah. tank your way to the bottom I dude I have no idea but <laughs> I like I like Duran a lot it sounds like uh, Monty is going to play him a lot, which is perfect. I like, honestly, I like Stewart too. Stewart's a great defender. He's shown that he can stretch the floor a little bit too. So I think he's viable as a four. And so really I, I'd, I'd like us to, to take a true small forward because like you said, it's, it's a pretty thin spot. I've been pretty high on Cam Whitmore. I, as, I, I love him by the way. He, he's awesome. Yeah. As a, as another scoring option, and I think if you can just build around that core group of five, if you have Cade, Ivy, Whitmore, uh, Stewart, and Duran, and you allow those five to grow for a couple years, they, I, I have high hopes, especially with Monty Williams as coach. The hardest thing I think for Detroit is that their biggest offseason need easily is shooting. Like they just need mm-hmm. to get more guys who can space the floor so Ivy and Cade Cunningham can attack the rim. But the top of the draft, especially I think you got screwed over so hard because you can get a really good player. Like you can get like a Jarris Walker from Houston. You can get a Cam yeah. Whitmore from Villanova. Like like athletic, super multi-position wings who can defend and they can also playmake too. Which like uh, Whitmore is more of like a a power athlete and he's not really a playmaker. But there's some even like a Anthony Black from Arkansas. He's like an actual like yeah. bigger guard. So in theory, you can have some things there. Because the other thing I think Detroit needs to ask themselves. Is Cade Cunningham a point guard or a small forward? Because he's six foot eight. But if you do, you want him to have the ball in his hands as the lead guy, Luka Doncic style, or do you want him secondary playmaker but primary kind of like shooting uh, shooter, if you will? I say Cade's got to have the ball in his hands for I, sure. I, I, agree. I, I like I like him at point guard, and that's and that's part of the reason why I want Whitmore at small forward because that is a guy who can stretch the floor for you. It's a guy who doesn't, I don't think, really needs the ball in his hands all that much, especially with uh, Kate and Ivy, who who are both pretty ball-dominant players. 
but Cade doesn't need to score to be effective. Ivy more so does. Whitmore obviously can can shoot it. So I think in terms of fit, Whitmore is is probably the guy. I don't hate Jarris Walker. If we took him, I wouldn't be upset. I just think in terms of fit, especially it it's Whitmore works well, especially if you keep Cade as the primary ball handler. My, my I wish I wonder I'm, I I wouldn't say I would do this, but if I was Detroit, I would consider moving back to ten or like nine because the guy I'm targeting is actually uh, Taylor Hendricks from UCF, on ball defender, oh, yeah. six foot uh what six foot eight wing, seven foot wingspan, and he shot thirty nine percent to from three in college. So he mm-hmm. he yeah. would be like the perfect plug and play small. Like the thing is, I don't know if Dallas would like would Dallas do trade pick ten and. Uh, trade pick ten for pick or I'm trying to think. Yeah, they would. I would. They would never. It's it's. There's not really like a trade down scenario, but I would love Hendricks on your team. I would say. Yeah, I, I like him too. I think it would. Pro- if we took him at five, it would be a little bit of a reach. But you know, at, at that point, there's already that clear cut top three guys, and now you're just kind of getting into that second tier, and it just feels like personal preference at this point. He's also he's also an older age nineteen, so he's like part ready but he's still young enough that you can kind of do something my the the issues are kind of weird with this draft too is that the uh, thompson twins especially uh amen is already past 20 and he'll be like 21 by the start of the year like close to it and then if i'm not mistaken i'll check right now asar he's also the same yeah they're twins so he's yeah. also gonna be about 21 whereas like i think if you're detroit you probably want to get a younger guy yeah, e- even and, if it, and- even if it's a walker or a Whitmore, like even that, at least he's young, nineteen, time to develop, et cetera. Yeah, and I'll I'll make my uh I'll make my Chet Holmgren sponsored hot take for the second year in a row. I'm <laughs> I'm out on the Thompson twins. I don't think they're gonna be good. I don't like their mechanics. I they're not super effective shooting the ball. I just I get that they're great athletes, but I just I I would be pretty upset if the Pistons drafted one of them. Especially with what we have. Super high risk and also I think it fits the mold of Another ball dominant guard who can't space the floor as well, which are taking mm-hmm. possessions away from Kate and Ivy. I, it's not. It's honestly, I've. It's not that I haven't been high on the Thompson twins. I also don't know much about the G League Ignite or uh, was mm-hmm. it a, or overtime lead. I mean, so I don't. Um, there's it, there's no comparison, right? Like you're not playing college where there's a mainstay. You're not playing even like overseas. So it's so weird to. They were so much better than everyone else. There isn't really like a fair comparison to make them. You have to kind of just base off the skill set and the tools. I, I agree with the Thompson twins. I think are the most controversial. If they both fall with one, I know uh, Amen is the better one. I think he might go to like five or six, which Detroit's Even five. Even four, maybe. I've been seeing him mock to Houston. He's he's mocked to Houston right now, which I think that might be the worst spot for him whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, which Houston, I'm. I- I don't even know who's good for Houston to be honest. Th- that's my team actually. That's next on my my docket of. They they so they need to actually try next year because they don't have their pick. It's top four protected. I think to OKC for the uh, the the dreaded Westbrook trade, which still feels fresh in our minds. Yeah. And they're in a weird spot of so many young guys, but none of them are actually franchise cornerstones. I don't know what your feelings are on Jalen Green. I think he's more of a Zach Levine type, like great to have, but not a franchise guy. And I don't I think the, yeah. I don't think I'm in Thompson or any Thompson twins going to be that guy, but they also have a shitload of cap space and can get James Harden. So I don't know what the hell is going to happen with that team. They're just such a, a weird, weird state of tons of young guys. They have to make some decisions, but they can also just accelerate the crap out of their timeline and get 
Harden plus even somebody else, this free agency, because they have so much money. They control the market out of any other team besides maybe San Antonio. But does Harden even accelerate their timeline? Like, because of Harden's style of play, like, the ball isn't going to be in guys like Jalen Green's hands or Kevin Porter Jr.'s hands. Like, James Harden is straight up iso ball. So I I don't – I think it – bringing Harden in, I think, would be a mistake for Houston just because of the collection of young guys they have. I do have a question for you. Is it crazy to think that Singoon is the most promising of everyone on their team? Oh, I I love it because um, Kevin, both Jalen Green, his issue is that I think if he doesn't get stronger, he's kind of more of like what I don't even know what's the best NBA comparison for like for Jalen Green because he's just so thin that even with his athleticism and like some shooting potential, he doesn't have the playmaking or the defense that I think he'll just be more of like a, a one trick pony offensively that can't really like elevate your franchise to like to wins. Yeah. And Kevin Porter is the same thing where he he's more built, so he can actually be like a stable guard. Like I think that's fine. Um, and he had some discipline issues in the in the past, but he's a lot better like this past year. I, I think Shangundo has so much more skill. Even being a center where that position value is like lower, you still like get some like a multi position. He's like he he can play both offense and defense. He's not like a total pancake. Yeah, but honestly, I think the the kind of rebirth of the center position is is going to be a higher value because now you look at the last three MVPs, all centers. Jokic just led his team to the championship. You, you and you look at these guys who have changed the game of basketball, like Steph Curry did, you know, ten, twelve years ago, and and now we're going to the dominant big man, and even Giannis to an extent, even though he's kind of he's a unicorn himself because he's he, he's the Greek freak, but you, you have these dominant big men who are leading teams to a championship, and I think that that's part of the reason why I think Sengun is so promising as well. He's got a lot of potential. So I'll point it back to you. Another Is there any other offseason or major draft narrative we should hit on here? I have, I have one or two more. Not that I can really think of. I think it's outside of like the top – it's it's a pretty cut and dry top three, and then once you get from like four through, you know, eight or nine, it's really it could be anyone's game. I'll give you a fun one. Um, this this one we have to talk about. Uh, Dallas at ten, in terms of like what is the value you're going to get if you're actually going to trade that pick? What's going to happen with Kyrie? And do we know that he's a for sure re-signee? And like, how does that affect their draft strategy? And can you get somebody at ten if you're going to keep the pick that can actually to be a win now player, which we know rookies, it doesn't matter how good they are. They tend to just be like, they don't really affect winning basketball as a rookie. Yeah. I it's, it's so tough because Kyrie is an insane person. So you don't really know what he's going to do. You kind of have, I feel like you have to go under the assumption that he's going to be back. That's why you traded for him. And so really, at, at 10 for Dallas, if they don't trade the pick, I actually like Grady Dick a lot. I think he fits well within their offense. Another guy who can kind of space the floor. He's got he's got good wingspan. And, yeah, I it's it's really – Dallas is, is a really tough one to kind of figure out because of the Kyrie situation. They also need a big man, though. So maybe – And not Christian Wood, please. <laughs> yeah, not Christian Wood. So it's – yeah, I. You know what? I I changed I changed initially from Dick. I'm gonna say 
they need they need to draft a center whoever is the best available out there because it's at the at ten you have no idea who's going to be there. I have no idea who's. D- Derek be there. Lively is projected eleven, and he was okay. like the Duke guy that couldn't score for crap, but he was like an awesome interior defender, seven foot one, seven seven wingspan, awesome shot blocker, rebounder. Like he he could be that guy. That's what yeah, and that's what you need. And if you keep Wood around, you can still play him at the four. He can still shoot. So I think that would work better for them defensively as well, just to have kind of that anchor rim protector kind of guy. So I guess maybe that's under the assumption that Kyrie stays, that's probably the best option for him. Two more teams. I think just to keep in mind that I think are fun. Orlando is one of them because remember they had Paolo last year. They have Wagner. Now they also have picks six and 11. So they could be a possible move up candidate into the top three. I, I doubt that'll happen. I think they'll rather take two young guys, but the other one I think to not sleep on is Utah, who has picks yeah. 9, 16, and 28. And I think they're going to compile at least 9 and 16 or 9 and 28 into something. Yeah, well, I'm Lowry Markinen all of a sudden became one of the better power forwards in the league. Walker Kessler, you got him with a second-round pick. Dude was second in rookie of the year voting. They still have Colin Sexton. Like, that's a pretty good core of guys. So I I like that theoretically to bring in kind of like that cornerstone star guy because I don't think any of those three are really going to be that but they're all they all I think could be really good um you know complementary options to that the stud that they kind of need. Well, one last question I'll ask you before we hang up here is I think the, the the thing I always like to do is look at the NBA from the bigger picture and kind of what is the thing that's going to stand out this offseason. And I made a lot of offseason points in, a, in another episode that will come out uh, tomorrow. But for the draft, I think the most intriguing thing to me is that it's a mix of teams. Like usually we have like a bunch of crappy teams, maybe some borderline playoff teams. This is a draft mixed with complete crap dumpster fires like Houston. I won't put Detroit there. I think they actually have some promise. But teams like that where they're still far away from like contention status. Teams like... Dallas, where they're like in a win now mode, but they Portland's another one where like in in their head they're a win now mode, but they don't really know where to go from here to like add more talent. Teams like Washington, Indiana, where they're kind of in the middle ground and trying to figure out where they are. I'd say the biggest takeaway for me from this draft is that I think there might be a lot of movement just because there's gonna be teams trying to solve their individual problems, try to find out where the direction is of their franchise for the next two, three, four years here. And I don't think we've really had that before. But if you had to kind of like summarize what's a big thing you'll be watching for as the NBA draft approaches and we, we get to it, what's going to be that big picture topic? Um, I I kind of agree with you to an extent. I think there's going to be a lot of teams, especially in the top, in I'd say two through eight, that aren't necessarily in love with the guys that are available just because of – you know, Wembenyama is the cornerstone. That's he's the best player, and then you have kind of Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller in this, you know, in the second tier. But it seems like neither of the two and three teams are sold on making that pick. And then once you get out of those two guys, like I said, like I've said before, it's really personal preference, and you know those teams might not be in love with any of the guys left, especially if they can't get into that top three spot. So then they'll look to trade down, stockpile some picks for future years. And 
Yeah, I just I I kind I actually kind of agree with you on that. I think I think we'll see more trades than we're used to seeing on draft night come Thursday. I think my other quick takeaway is I think there's so much uncertainty now. I think Scoot's probably a clear two, despite all the murmurs. But I think there's a clear uncertainty from three to ten, like you said, or two to eight, where there really is like kind of like buy, buyer's preference, if you will. Buyers can be choosers here, where it, it's intri- It's gonna be intriguing to see what the philosophy is behind a lot of these picks. Do you go younger? Mm-hmm. Do you go more ready now? Are you going for a developmental project? What's gonna happen with all of these wing players that? are projected in the lottery where they can go anywhere from three to as low as 10 or 11. There, yeah. There's a such a, a wide range of outcomes that even last year, I think when we did our draft preview, we knew the kind of in theory what the tiers were and uh, where people would mostly fall. I don't think we're going to have that necessarily in this one. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens, man. I'm, I'm excited personally for the Pistons. I, I, I'd like us to stay at five and draft Whitmore. I think it, I think there is potential though to trade back to even six or seven and still happen. get them. But I don't I don't know if if teams would be willing to give up assets to move up spots that you know that short of a gap. But we'll see. There'll be a lot of possibilities. Well, Eisman, it was always good to have you on. Thank you for joining. Yeah, I appreciate it, Dom.